0: This was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets.
1: So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work.
0: I feel like we got top, top, top.
1: I went from a sale of you know, $500,000 to in debt.
0: $192 million. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. So once a year, you go to the doctor, right? They take your blood pressure. Maybe they prick your finger and they take a little blood and they give you a sense of your cholesterol level. Maybe if you go to one of those fancy healthcare facilities, they get you to run on a treadmill for a while, see how your heart's doing, you get a checkup. The same thing should be true of your business. When we look at your business through the value builder score, we're going to look at it through eight key drivers that acquirers care about. Whether you want to sell your business immediately or in 10, 20 years from now, these are the eight factors that business buyers care about. Knowing them now will help you maximize the value of your business going forward. Just go to valuebuilder.com and take the questionnaire. Next up, you're gonna hear from Mitchell Feldman, who went through a bit of a two-part Exit his first part was merging his company with another company of similar size and as you'll hear Both businesses were roughly the same size when they merged three and a half million pounds in turnover So you know call it roughly five million dollars in US dollars today in terms of sales that was the first big exit that he had, but no cash changed hands, and so he was still sort of all in in the merged company. And then he went and sold the merged company to HP, the big technology giant. So lots of lessons here for those that are interested in potentially merging with an equal before going on and doing a formal exit. Uh, some real interesting lessons about the way Mitchell did his merger. Also listen to the importance of brand in the value of, of his company. I also liked about three-quarters of the way through the interview where Mitchell talked about the different valuation techniques used for the three different types of services that they offered. Very interested in in that. He also defines a Russian roulette merger, and I'll let you listen for that and and take some notes there. Uh, Lots of good stuff here from this interview with Mitchell Feldman. Mitchell Feldman. Welcome to Built to Cell Radio.
1: Thank you very much, John. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so you've had uh, you started a company called Cloud Amour. I love the <laughs> word Amour. It's a, a French word for love. Tell me the backstory on on why uh, you use the French word for love in your company name.
1: Um, actually the, the, there's a funny story to it so firstly primarily when we wanted to start up the company we wanted to make sure that you know brand was everything for us so we wanted to make sure we had a dot com and most of the natural words in the English dictionary are taken as a, a as dot a com right. so, we, so we had to come up with something a little bit creative and we were coming up with some names and then one of the girls who was working for me while we were still trying to come up with the idea of the office had a more with a heart on her uh, on her wrist and i said you know what cloud and more that encapsulates everything that we're trying to do here and the way that we feel about our proposition and subsequently we, we checked all of the social channels such as twitter and instagram and linkedin um as well as the dot com and they were all available oh, so we funny. just so we just grabbed it with both hands so it was it was meant to be it was a sign but yeah, it was yeah. meant to be
0: Body art meant to be. So tell me, what did the company do? What what does Cloud Amore do?
1: Yeah, so we are a a born-in-the-cloud Microsoft partner. So we sold Microsoft solutions largely around their cloud proposition, so Office 365 and Microsoft Azure. And we were an SMB partner, so we were aiming at small to medium businesses, really so from 10 users up to about 100 users, providing them with a full suite of IT services, whether it be from design and implementation right through to running and managing that environment. Um, But most of our clients were at a stage where they were fed up with their traditional systems. The cloud was new. Everyone was talking about it. I don't think many people were doing it. But it was a great story for us and a story that was different from all of our competitors.
0: So I'm a small business. I, I go to Staples and buy Office 365. And I, I install the box of CDs. You come to me circa 2012 and say... Don't worry about these CDs. Why don't you get a, a license for three sixty five? We'll connect all your computers up instead of having a server in a room in your back office which is susceptible to floods. Why don't we why don't we put your data in the cloud? So it, it, am I getting the kind of proposition
1: correct? Yeah. Exactly, and and the, the problem with smaller businesses is that they have champagne taste and beer money. <laughs> I, I their expectations are that these systems are robust um, and can stand up to the pressures that they have of everyday work. Um, however, the reality is is that those systems are onerous to manage. They are unreliable, um, and so we try and instill a new way of working through the cloud and make that Microsoft's problem, whereas our customers. Can just focus on the business logic.
0: Now, I'm going to date myself and make myself sound really old here. But in a, I used to run a uh, market research and, and analytics company. And, and we had a server room, and we had a guy, literally like a human being, come and change the backup tapes once a week. <laughs> they would like yeah. physically come and take the backup tapes off site. Like, that's pretty antiquated. But I remember those days, you know, they weren't that long ago. But-
1: yeah, and it still happens. And, and you know what? Um, we had, I think you were in the luxurious position of people actually did the backup tapes. I would imagine uh, at that time a lot of the SMBs weren't even doing the backups; they were just assuming because they've got a server, it's backed up.
0: Right. Okay. So I I get the company. So Cladamore, tell me about um, the trajectory. Like, how big did you get the company before uh, you you started conversations with Red Pixie, the ultimate you know company you merged with?
1: Yeah, so we started in July 2012. Um, and by July 2015, we had got to about 35 staff and about three and a half million pounds, UK pounds turnover.
0: That's incredibly fast for a three year old business. What, how did you get going that quickly?
1: um a number of reasons i guess the primary reason is is that our story we were very clear on our story and the value that we could offer our customers and when we went to customers we were coming up against other partners, other uh, IT companies who weren't uh, extolling the virtues of the cloud. So, our proposition became very compelling. We had some great proof points that we could rely on and, and r- refer our prospects to, um, which allowed us to really grow quite quickly. Um, and we, we, we got to a stage where we were winning maybe four out of every five deals.
0: Wow. Who is the who's the we? Uh who else owned Cloud Amore?
1: No, so I was the sole owner. I, I, I say we and that's sort of sewn into my DNA. The, royal that, we. <laughs> the the Royal We is the company, you know, the sum of the parts.
0: Got it. Got it. And so tell me about so your thirty five staff, three and a half million UK pounds turnover, doing the math I mean, that's probably at the time close to seven million US dollars. Now that the pound is depreciated a bit, but but still, a you know significant sized company. Um, tell me about how the Red Pixie uh, merger came about because I understand you you merged with Red Pixie. But like, maybe give me the backstory on how that came about.
1: Yeah, sure. So. The problem that we had is is that we were dealing with small to medium businesses, and whilst there is a great business case to do business with those people, um, you know we have this saying that if you go camping for a day or a week, you have to take the same equipment, so you may as well go for a week. And we were doing all of this great work for very small businesses when actually we could apply the same logic to much larger businesses. The only problem is is that we didn't have any footprint in the enterprise space, the upper mid market and enterprise space. And actually, to get that first win is the hardest. Um, points to get to. So we had a really deep intimate relationship with Microsoft, anyone that was SMB, that was in the UK based, Microsoft um, used us as one of their preferred partners. But what Microsoft saw, and what we were really good at as an organization, we were really strong on the brand. So we focused on our, our logo, our output, our language, we did some deep persona definition of how we talk to our audience. So we were really good at the sales process. We had all the tooling around that. Um, we also had a, a great brand awareness and reputation. But what we, and well, there was another partner that was unknown to us, but known to Microsoft. And that was a company called Red Pixie. Now, Red Pixie were almost the, the, the polar opposite of us, whereas they had no sales and marketing capability. Or, um, but they had deep rooted skills and heritage skills in the enterprise space so they're almost like a a, a, the best kept secret microsoft so microsoft the coo at the time turned around to both companies and said you know what if we use their sublime technical skills with your deep um, sales and marketing skills that would create quite a formidable partnership together
0: interesting so microsoft you know you're you're essentially you're your supplier, in a way, although they call them business partners, yep. sort of brokered this relationship.
1: Exactly. Well, they, they thought what they saw. You know, for them, they're all about consumption of their services, and the quicker they can accelerate that, the better. So they thought, you know, if we've got this this capability within Red Pixie, if we apply the the methodology of more to that vehicle, we're just going to sell more stuff. Um, and that's how it came to be. So, you know, we, we, we went on a couple of dates and I use the analogy of boyfriend and girlfriend. We went on a couple of dates. We did a couple of deals together. He got a draw, he got a draw in my house. I got a draw in his house. We created success together.
0: Sorry, what do you mean by he got a draw in your house? I'm not sure I understand
1: that. Okay, so, so like when you're on a boyfriend and girlfriend, you'll start leaving your socks in their drawers and they'll start leaving I socks see, in the your drawer. drawers. I'm sorry.
0: Okay, got it, got it,
1: got it, got it. Uh, got it. I, I, I- <laughs> <laughs> and we started. And we started experiencing success together. Um, we'd won some bigger deals than we had would ever have won. The narrative that they were talking was a completely different vista to anything that we had spoken about. It was. It was not dissimilar, but just amplified and much, much more authoritarian than we had ever dreamed of being capable of. So, for us, it was really great. And there was there was a point in time just before we did the deal, before we agreed we wanted to look at doing the deal, is we drew up a SWOT analysis on the board. Um, And it was very, very clear from the onset of that exercise that Actually, the two businesses were very similar and the opportunities and the threats were the same. But the the S and the W, the strength and the weaknesses, were polar opposites on on both businesses. And actually, if we just swap them, then we would get the best of both worlds.
0: Fantastic. So I want to go forward, further on this. So Microsoft brokered the deal. How did they propose it? Because, you know, obviously, there's there's – There's some confidence that you, you know, there's confidential conversations that you would have with Microsoft that you might not want Red Pixie to know about. How did they actually put you two together? Was it on an email or a phone call or how did they physically do it?
1: No, so we we actually met, so it's a good question, we actually met at a partner conference day where they invite their, their high-performing partners, they call them hypo, so high-potential partners, into a room where we just have, um, where we just shoot the breeze talking about the channel, talking about our challenges, how can Microsoft support us, and strategically they put us together in the same room and on the same table, hmm. Um, and then came up to us after. So it was all very premeditated, unbeknownst to us, um, and said, look, you guys should talk. There, there, there could be some synergy there between what you're doing.
0: Got it. How, many, how big was Red Pixie at the time of the merger?
1: Almost identical to us. Um, they were also around about the same sort of revenue, about three and a half million. Um, similar amount of staff, about 30, 35 staff. Um, but they had maybe five or six customers. We had about 70.
0: Interesting. And so y- you've got a, a drawer in in their house. I love this analogy. They've got a drawer in yours. How, how did it go from, hey, this is fun. We should do some convers- you know, partnership stuff together to a more formal merger. Like, Tell me when it changed the the, the tone of the relationship.
1: Yeah. So I, I guess the first deal that we had won together, the first deal they had won together. So I was working with the, the then CEO and myself, we were working together from a personality perspective. We got on really well, you know, the, it, this is not just about business. This is about chemistry as well. And, and from, from a previous life of mine working, you know, the, the, the personalities and the relationships was King. We found that that was, we knew that that was the secret source or part of the secret source to be successful. So
0: you get on well um, with the the partner. Okay, get that.
1: We, we we got on well. We 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 won a significant deal together. So it was a deal that Red Pixie, uh, sorry, Cloudamore had bought to Red Pixie, um, but Red Pixie had helped us close it and delivered uh, um, the the. Uh, the requirements and a far greater detail than we were ever capable of as Cloudamore. So, we knew, you know, it, it was very romantic for us to see that, you know, where an average deal size was maybe 30,000 could become 300,000. Conversely, for, for them at, at Red Pixie, they could see that rather than having five or six customers, they could have 50 or 60 customers um so they selfishly it was good for us both but from a personality perspective we got on really well a culture of the business was very similar and very modern you know we we made a a purposeful decision to measure our staff on output not on input so we didn't care if they were in starbucks at home or in the office as long as they Got the job done, and they did a great job. Um, we didn't care, and and so there was lots and lots of markers along the way where it was just it just fell right. It just fell right, and you know we both had a lot to to offer. Um, both our companies, we did some um, desktop calculations on the valuation of the business, and actually one of the things I think is critical to, to to making this deal happen is we weren't precious on what our valuation of the business was today.
0: So so. So, how are your cultures similar between the two two businesses?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so that was actually really important for both CEOs of both businesses. You know, we wanted to make sure that if we were going to merge these two businesses, that there wasn't going to be a, a mass exodus, that everyone was confident that we were all pulling in the same direction and that we all wanted the same things we made a very conscious decision as a business to measure our staff on on output not input so we weren't precious as to where they worked we weren't precious um, if they were at Starbucks or home or at the office actually as long as they just produced great work and gave a great service to our customer that was what was important um, and and you know that, that helped with many things and, and helped the deal um, move along and obviously the financials as well was a was a big consideration.
0: Well, it's funny because you sounded you sound like you were similar sized companies in your own admission. You're roughly three and a half million pounds each in turnover. How did you go about valuing each other's shares? Because in a merger, of course, you're not exchanging, as I understand it, cash per se, but you're taking shares in a larger company. How did you figure out what each company was worth?
1: So, yeah, it's a a really good question. And, you know, there is various forms of math that you can apply to the the, the valuation. Um, We were both of the opinion that actually we didn't really care what we were doing today. We both know we had really good businesses, that they were both – Fully susten- highly sustainable, not just fully sustainable, highly sustainable. Um, but what we both were, were aware of is that actually what we had both achieved on our own was nothing compared to what we would achieve as a collective. So, It made the valuation process a lot easier, and we both agreed, I think bar a a very small amount of money, that there was a difference in valuation just from a balance sheet perspective, that we didn't care and and we weren't precious about the valuations of our businesses. Um, There were other challenges that we had to deal with later on down the line in terms of um, titles and responsibilities, but the money was a really easy one because we both felt that whilst we had great businesses and you know $7 million, is not to be sniffed at per business um, what we did know is, is that that would dwarf into insignificance compared to what we could do as a joint entity
0: so if I'm doing the math right you know you you own if, if I mean I'm gonna distill a complicated you know issue down to to its simplest terms if I can uh, you, you were hundred percent shareholder of cloud Amore. you became roughly a 50% shareholder in a larger company.
1: You've got it. Okay. You've, absolutely. It. And that's what that's what it was. We both we both surrendered all of our shares to a new holding company, and then redistributed them based on the same percentages. Got it.
0: How did you get comfortable with the idea of going from being a hundred percent the boss to having a partner?
1: Um, it's a good question, and and, and the honest answer is is I. I trod very carefully because in a, in a former life I had a partner who I did fall out with and I made a vow to myself that I would never have another partner again. However, I had to be honest with myself. I had to be honest where I knew what my strengths and weaknesses were. I knew what my capabilities were and I knew what I enjoyed doing and what I didn't enjoy doing. So, um, being honest with myself and and saying you know if I've got someone who I like who mentally stimulates me who I believe and is working as hard as I am I don't have a problem with that um, I knew that there were some watches I had to put out on some of the traits I'd seen previously in a former life and just had to make sure that I controlled those made sure that I did have a, a voice at the table and, 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 and stood my ground when I believed in something but we never had that we we were very very lucky we were the exception rather than the rule
0: how do you you know one of the things i think comes up in partnerships is is you're working harder than they are or they're working harder than you are and it creates kind of resentment did you have a way to say look we're all you know we're both going to put in a 40-hour work week or did you have some sort of mechanism to to make sure each each was working as hard as the other
1: Mm, yeah so I think the the simple answer is is that we were doing completely different roles we weren't doing the same role. I can understand if the, you get two partners in there, both salespeople and one selling more than the other, but we had disparate roles within the business. One, you know, my partner was the what we what we called in the business the chief and visionary officer. He was the one that talked about the art of the possible and won the hearts and minds of our customers when we were talking to them. Mine was more around the commercials and, and executing on the project. So we had very different skills there was no real crossover. There was certainly complementary um, traits, but there was no crossover to what we did. So there was never any resentment.
0: You mentioned there were some issues around title. How did you work through those?
1: Yeah, so so that was really important, and I think that was for me pivotal in in terms of our growth. So I was the CEO of our business, um, and they had a CEO of 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 their business. Um, We certainly couldn't have two CEOs. We didn't think it was good for our for the customers. It was confusing for the customers. Um, And you know, I had to be honest with myself that you know, for me, the best way to be successful is to do a job that you love, and my love. Is, is the sales and the marketing, um, particularly around digital marketing and what I call growth hacking. And I didn't want the, uh, the ownership of, of being responsible for all of the service level agreements, for all of the, the, the finance. Um, I, knew I knew I had to have it in place and I employed good people to do that, but I didn't want accountability for that. I just wanted to really fixate on what I was really good at, which was the sales and the marketing. So, I then made the decision to, to become the CMO, CDO, um, is the chief d- digital officer or chief marketing officer, and, and my partner became the CEO. And from then, we accelerated because we only – we stuck to our knitting. It was very clear what we did. That so there was no ambiguity around the title. Um, when tasks came on, we, ass- we agreed who was responsible for particular tasks. And for us, that was one of the tipping points to our growth. Because it really just allowed us to fixate on great.
0: Was there any part of that decision that that sat uncomfortably in the context of you know uh, you know we're all of, a subject of of status and and you go to a cocktail party and someone says well what do you do and you know i'm the ceo of a company or i'm the cmo the cmo doesn't have the same cachet in some people's minds yeah, did you yeah. ever struggle with you know rationalizing that in your own head
1: yeah yeah <laughs> it's a really interesting point and if you'd asked me in a former life, it would have been very important for me because how I was perceived on the outside world was everything to me. As I had grown up um, and had become more mature within business, actually, I didn't care what anyone else thought. As long as I knew that I was a, a large shareholder within the business, that I had control of my own destiny and I had a seat at the table, that was what was important for me. Um, and it was a brave decision and not many people can make that brave decision. I've seen many people who are CEOs who should not be CEOs. Um, and then sometimes to the demise of the business. So for, for me, it was, it was, it, I had a fiduciary duty to the business to ensure that I didn't do something that I was going to either hurt the business or not give us the best outcome. Did you guys
0: talk about exiting the the joint venture before you merged
1: um we we knew that it was possible we didn't know time scales we certainly had a vision we created a vision an internal vision of what we wanted to do we we articulated very clearly how we needed to grow the business. So, you know, we had a a mandate that we wanted from in terms of revenue stream, we wanted a third of our revenue to come from IP, a third of our revenue from managed services, and a third of our revenue from professional services.
0: IP being intellectual property. Correct. Managed so to services being the, the – I just want to do the definition. So managed services being the recurring fees to manage someone's infrastructure?
1: Exactly. Got it. And, and then models. the professional services to, to, to implement those. Because we knew the multiples that would apply to IP, the multiples that would apply to uh, managed services and professional services. And professional services being the, the, the least uh, attractive in terms of multipliers.
0: What were those uh, multiples in your mind at the time of the merger?
1: Yeah. So for professional services, is can be around about 0.8 of revenue. Um, managed services can be anywhere between four and eight times revenue, and, and IP depends on how disruptive it is, but can be anywhere between eight and 15 times revenue.
0: Fantastic. And again, that goes to show you the difference between one-off revenue, professional services, and recurring revenue being, you know, managed services
1: exactly I mean we wanted to get to this place very very quickly um, where we could self-sustain our business through managed services whereby our, our overhead was covered by our managed services we never quite got there um, but we certainly had a, a a direction of travel we knew what the end point was we just never got there because of the the, the purchase but we knew where we wanted to go and, and we made a very big thing about communicating to that to the business so everybody in the business knew this wasn't solely the domain of the senior leadership team. This was the domain of the entire company. Everyone bought into that vision. And that was really important and that helped us.
0: And did everybody have shareholding or options in the, in the, in the merged company?
1: Uh, yeah, so we had uh, an, an employee benefits trust. Um, so we made sure that everyone had some upside, um, some skin in the game, that if we were successful, they would be successful. And that was that was the best way for us to a, get the best people um, and to get the best performance out of those people.
0: Got it. And then what safeguards did you put in place? As it turns out, you didn't need them, but had you gone through a divorce? What, were, what was the breakup mechanism? Did you have a classic sort of shotgun agreement with the-
1: Yeah, exactly. So the Russian roulette clause.
0: And dis- can you describe what that was?
1: Um, so that is in, in the event that uh, we get to a divorce state, um, I can make an offer- to buy the business or buy the shareholding from the other, from the other um, shareholder, and they then I believe have 28 days to either accept that offer or pay me the same. And the reason why that works is that I can't come in with a low board offer because then they're just going to buy from me. So I have to make sure that offer is sensible so that it protects us both.
0: And one of the best practices is to ensure if you're going to use that. By the way, now I'm talking directly to my audience that you're the, the the company the owner of the company you're merging with is in a similar financial situation if if you're a struggling you know young person and you're merging with a very wealthy person keep in mind they can use the disparage like the difference in your wealth to 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 basically to to your detriment uh by offering you a relatively low price they know you can't come up with the money did you think about that going into the russian roulette agreement that were you at a similar stage in life with your partner
1: yeah so so we we had both had um some scars f- um f- from becoming old or older <laughs> um we so we were both we were both mindful of that, um, but we, we sat at the table with a very mature and open head. Um, but, you know, I, some of the advice that I've I've given often to other people is, you know, <laughs> whatever you do, spend money on lawyers. And it pains me to say that, but, you know, there is a reason why big lawyers charge big fees because they get the results. Not always, but... Most of the time. So we spent a lot of money on legal just to protect everybody and make sure that all the mems and arts and all the shareholders agreement and the service contracts were all in place to protect everybody. Um and, and we had to make sure that, you know, with these with these agreements, what's good for me is good for them and and vice versa. So we all had to make sure that we were comfortable.
0: Got it. Take us Jump forward to the acquisition by HP. So you've got this merged company of which you're a major shareholder in. Um, you have this vision of a third, a third, a third in terms of your revenue. So you'd already sort of started to contemplate the the, the valuation of the merged entity. How did the HP acquisition
1: come about? Um, so... <clears throat> We were just fixated on on providing managed services and build, designing and building hybrid cloud solutions for financial services customers in the upper mid-market and enterprise space and UK-based. So we were very fixated and, and very pointed in what we did. And we also knew that financial services was the largest addressable market when it comes to cloud um, globally. So we knew that we were we were digging oil in the right area, um, and people like Hewlett Packard and a number of other. Uh, uh, people in the market were looking to bring in those skills in-house. You know, cloud skills, everyone was talking about it for many years. Not many people did it, or not many people did it well. We had a great reputation through my marketing and and our sales capability, and we were really making waves within the market. Um, So I believe HPE found us on the web, started doing some light due diligence around which companies to look at. Um, They liked the narrative that was being read from our website and all of our, our our social channels and then engage with us for the conversation to say hi hey guys what what would tomorrow look like if uh, if you became part of the HPM machine
0: what what was your reaction when you got that
1: uh, email um so it came amongst three others um, we didn't have a for sale sign outside our business, they came to us proactively. Um, we, we were we were excited, um, we were nervous, um, and also we were realists as well because we knew that we were a small business. Um, we might not go through due diligence, anything that can happen. And I mean, literally anything that can happen. I remember just before we were about to do the deal to sign the paperwork, um, there was. Uh, problems within North Korea, um, and this is a West, C- uh, a West Coast-based business out of Palo Alto in San Francisco, and we thought, you know, what if something happens in North Korea, this deal moves off the table. Um, so there was lots of points along the line that were very uh, heart and mouth moments. But mm. but when we got that, it, it was incredibly flattering. Um, we knew it was serious because someone of HPE size would not approach us unless they were serious. Um, We know after some very light due diligence that they were very acquisitive in the market and were buying other cloud companies. Um, Certainly, they'd bought an Amazon Amazon partner, a very large Amazon partner um, in the US, um, but didn't have any uh, Microsoft skills globally. Um, And again, they came in, we we met with some of the people, and and the, the cultures and the vision were very much aligned.
0: And they put a letter of intent in front of you, I'm assuming?
1: Yeah, yeah, it it took a while to get to that because, um, you know, we just have to make sure that that letter of intent sets the tone for the rest of the engagement up to completion so that a lot of work went into that letter of intent. So what do you mean by that? Um, Just in terms of what the deal would look like, what our expectations were, what our responsibilities were. We didn't really get into the micro detail around warranties, um... But at a very high level, we just had to make sure that everyone was comfortable with some of the numbers being spoken about um, and and the construct of the deal.
0: And did you talk about, so they they got into valuation before they put the letter of intent together, they took your temperature on valuation, it sounds like
1: yeah and, and so at that point once we realized they was serious we we engaged with a, a, a an a firm because again we knew we, we, we don't know what we don't know we needed an expert within this field to help us navigate around it um, so we brought in this firm who helped us um, uh, walk through this process and and so yeah so we we did that calculation because we knew that we were a smallish business and whilst this is very romantic and very exciting um it could also be the the end of this business if we devote all the time to this transaction it doesn't happen um we would be left holding the baby.
0: Yeah. Did did you have to did they ask you what do you want for the business did you react to that question or were they the first to put the put a number to you?
1: No. They uh, they said, this is what we're going to give you.
0: And and what was your reaction? I know we can't talk specifically about the number, but what was your reaction to the number when you saw it?
1: Do you know, I had a vision as a, as a child or as a child, as a young adult. And that I'd always wanted to make sure that I got to a position where I had enough money for my children and my children's children. Um, and that was always my vision. Um I looked at these numbers and I thought this can't be real because this is going to mean that I've come true on my vision, um, and and they were life changing numbers. They were life changing numbers. And this is this was one of the biggest IT deals in the channel in 2018.
0: And so you 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 ultimately consummated the deal. You you you
1: agreed to be acquired by HP. Correct.
0: What an incredible story. Um,
1: and, and and it's an amazing company, you know. You know, the one thing that we couldn't do due diligence on was what our tomorrow looked like. Um, this is an amazing company, and and you know, whilst I do I don't have to work again for the rest of my life, um, I really like this company, and actually, I'm ready to go to the next level, um, and I'm excited at what we can do with them.
0: Where do people, if if people want to reach out and say hello, is there a, a best place for them to go, a website to visit or... Do you- accept LinkedIn connection requests? Like where, where were people? Yeah, best? yeah,
1: yeah. Abs- you- Absolutely. So yeah. So LinkedIn, so Mitchell with two Ls, M I T C H E double L Feldman. Um, F-E-L-D-M-A-N. Exactly. And I'm on LinkedIn. I, I'm a, I, I I'm a social butterfly. So I'm always on <laughs> LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on, LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, on the Feldman news, um, and, and Instagram and all of the, the channels and, and, and I share my learnings and, a lot and, and i try and give back and i try and help other people so uh yeah i, I feel free to anyone to reach out and connect i would be delighted to share my story and see if i can help other people on this
0: well mitchell thank you very much for joining us
1: thank you very much john good luck bye